All right, so we're here to start a story from the sidelines. My name is Lucas Capalbo. I'm going to be hosting today's episode. We're going to be talking about male friendship and mental health in football. It was, it's difficult and you can feel, like, though there's 22 people on the pitch, you feel very alone on there. You know, unfortunately, we've seen in the last couple of years a couple of high-profile academy players taking their own life. And then they felt there was no way out for them because they had nothing else. found out how much that was important for me and how much of my identity was attached to being, being a coach, being on the pitch, being with the boys and girls, playing the beautiful game. One of my main aims in the foundation is, okay, how can we find pathways for these children who aren't going to be playing competitively post-16, post-18? How do we just keep, keep that love for the game and keep them involved? So before we get going, I uh, wanted to go around the room and just have people introduce themselves. Starting here in front of me, could you introduce yourself, please? Hi, Lucas. Yeah, pleasure to be here today. It's uh, Charlie Hyman, um, founder and CEO of Bloomsbury Football Foundation. Uh, set up Bloomsbury about four years ago, um, and it's grown very quickly over that time, which is amazing and shows what incredible demand there is for young people in London to play football, um, and have seen the incredible benefits that go with that. Yeah, I'm Josh Arnold, uh, Academy Manager at Bloomsbury, uh, looking after the Boys and the Girls Academy, where we're now up to over 300 players. So making sure we keep quality high and give players the opportunity to reach the highest level that they can possibly achieve. My name is Max, I'm Academy Coordinator, uh, assist with the running of the Academy. I've been here since 2019, at the right page of 18. Hi, and I'm Cameron Gordon. I'm the Foundation Manager here at Bloomsbury Football, which is our programme for young boys and girls um, of all abilities across a number of programmes and projects that I run in central London. Awesome, thank you. Cam, who was the first person you met when you came to Bloomsbury? Yeah, first person I met was through my interview process, so probably Charlie, um, up at Parliament Hill during kind of a couple of uh, lockdowns um, in that summer of 2020. And yeah, like instantly kind of welcomed into Bloomsbury um, straight from the start, really. It wasn't, didn't really feel like a normal interview process. I think I met Max there as well. Um, kind of on the same day so kind of yeah was just welcomed in we almost like open arms if we say it that way like felt part of the kind of staff from straight off really and then yeah when I started full-time in October 2020 was when, when I met Josh and then I think yourself Lucas followed a couple months later and as the kind of staff group has uh, grown uh, over the two years has been like good a good welcoming kind of like group as a whole I suppose and um, yeah like you can count with these guys as friends and um, yeah, really nice kind of like safe space, good place to work. Uh, Max, who was the first person you met? Uh, first person I met was Charlie as well. Uh, there was no interview process for me. Uh, it was just it was just <laughs> a, a text saying I wanted to coach an hour a week. Um, so, <laughs> so I turned up at uh, Market Road. I think it was October 2019. I just, I'd done university for two months and I just took a... Um, a small session, I think it was with the Under 10s Foundation or something. And I look back and it was absolutely horrendous. Uh, <laughs> nevertheless, got positive feedback um, from Charlie uh, that just sort of the energy was good um, and that kind of stuff, which is the base of, um, you know, wanting to coach and be motivated to get better, which was good that he saw that. And um, yeah, it just pushed him since, really. Is it right for us to say that you're, after Charlie, you're the oldest member of staff in oh, this room right now? I have, yes. And the youngest. Yes, that's also true. True, true. Oh, geez, yeah. Max is like a Slatan Ibrahimovic. He does no trials. He just, no interview, just came in. I remember the original, the... original Falcon Hall. So what I mean by that is, before we had two rooms, there was one just room. that one room. Um, and I remember I got invited to the office. Oh, and I thought, I'm going to turn up. Yeah, it's going to be a good kitchen, loads of stuff, and like, loads of people around. There's just four of us in this tiny, slim box. And smaller, I was like, smaller than this. And box. I was just thinking, but this is the place for me. Perfect. <laughs> That's insane. And uh, Josh, what was the first person you met? Yeah, it was also Charlie. Um, it was between lockdowns of May 2020. Uh, came up to Parliament Hill as well. Did an interview, slightly different to normal. It was actually a one-to-one -one session with one of the Bloomsbury players. Um, yeah, it was certainly a weird way to start a job. I was working at a prep school at the time. So, again, coming back to the office from what I was used to working in a Surrey prep school and thinking like, yep, this is for me, like this is my new home. Uh, but yeah, again, like felt very welcome coming into the organization, probably in the first three or four full-time staff members and like, yeah, to see how it's grown now is like, 
pretty amazing, really. It's like great that we've managed to retain a really like a, a team of really good people, basically. Definitely. I, I think I'm no different than everybody else. I think Charlie was the first person I met. But there's a little uh, story behind it. I don't know if you guys knew that I actually flew in from Italy for a day to meet with Charlie. So uh, I was like back and forth on an email with him. And then I said like, oh, I can come in and we can meet in person. And he's like, yeah, you're welcome to come in. So I took a flight in the morning in November 2020, I would say. So I, I met with him, uh, Louis and Nick, and then had a conversation. I saw Falcon Hall for the first time. I'm just like, okay, this looks cool. You know, I didn't know that you couldn't get even better than that. Has character. And then at 6 p.m., I was taking off uh, back to Milan uh, to go back to my reality there. And then a month later, I moved in uh, before Brexit ended. And uh, it was definitely the best professional decision I've made so far. Um, and one of the, the reasons why I made that move was because uh, lockdown had a, a really huge impact on my mental health especially on my identity as a, as a, as a, a football coach, a sport professional. And whenever Italy put the, the barriers or the, the lockdown, the restrictions, it took away the thing that I had no idea how important it was, which was coaching. Because I used to do like some other different jobs that were not related to football, but I had to do it just to make money and then kind of finance the, my, my work in football. And then I was okay doing that because I knew that seven o'clock that was a kickoff of my for my team, my my, my training sessions, and, and I would live up to that day. Until they removed that, and I only had that non-football related activities, and then I knew or found out how much that was important for me, and how much of the, my identity was attached to being being a coach, being on the pitch, being with the boys and girls, uh, playing the beautiful game. So. One of the topics that we want to talk today is about mental health and the importance of of having a good mental health and how everything else looks like it flows better when we are in a, a positive state of mind, when things are, are positive, when we are uh, looking healthy, not only physically and also uh, mentally. And also one of the things I also I would say started at this conversation was what happened at the, the UFC London fight. What's the name of the, I'll probably mispronounce his name. Paddy Plimpton. Correct. So on the weekend of his fight, he unfortunately received a call from a friend of, uh, from his friends back home saying that unfortunately one of his uh, good mates, as you guys call here, uh, has taken, successfully taken his life away. And at the end of his fight, he basically took the microphone, I think it was Michael Bispin who was interviewing him, a former UFC fighter and send a message out to, to, to people, especially men around talking and taking weight off your shoulders. And if I can ask Kem to, to read the quote uh, to start us off here. Not in a Scouts accent, no. <laughs> um, yeah, said uh, people would rather, I know I'd rather have their mate cry on their shoulder and go to their funeral. So please, let's get rid of the stigma and men start talking. Yes. So... Nobody better to talk about it than himself. I have him here on my phone. I'm kidding. We don't have the budget. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the idea here is for us to have a conversation about what it means to be a man and what it means to be to have uh, mental health as a man and how to deal with it. So I want to just to go around the room and hear a little bit from you guys. Just uh, what are your experiences with your mental health and how maybe sport has had an impact, positive or negatively? Uh, on, on that I can maybe start with Josh sure yeah I mean I think I would agree with exactly what you said about you realize how important sport is to you when it's taken away and that's not necessarily just like playing it or even work but like going to watch football matches you know for 18 months playing the games behind closed doors and you realize how much you appreciate going to the football with your friends like the people you see at the games every time consistently like you don't you, there's no other opportunity to see those people um, so a lot of our friendships come from like the relationships we build through sport. And I think that's probably why it was so impactful on young people during the pandemic to like not be able to see their mates and have to stay indoors. And as much as like the obviously the incredible work we did during lockdown on Zoom and probably bringing people together, giving them the opportunity to chat and play football on video calls was amazing. But nothing beats that in-person face-to-face interaction, which is like so important. I think that's like 
probably, I, I guess, speaking on behalf of everyone in the room, is like one of the best things about working in sport with young people is being able to provide those social interactions. So, yeah, I'd say that's it's, it's huge. And also, like, being in the office and working with people, like, they're your friends as well as your colleagues. So being able to come in, see their faces, have the interaction away from the pitch is, is really important to us all, yeah. Looking back at little Josh Arnold, uh, starting to play football and watch football, what what were the lessons you probably learned from the game that maybe have impacted your mental health or your ability to 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 manage it? I guess it's like the first experiences you get of like real resilience where you lose games or you have frustrations and things don't go your way, you fall out with your teammates. And you have to deal with those situations on the pitch. And those are the lessons that you then take into later life when it comes into a workplace and things don't go your way and you have to be resilient. Or, you know, in life, things don't always work out and, you know, you lose family members or friends. And those are the lessons that you've learned maybe indirectly when you're younger that allow you to to be stronger going forward. So, yeah, I think also teamwork is like the one I always refer to. It's so important, but being part of a team nothing can replace that like it's a family it's the same at bloomsbury every one of the staff members people get welcomed in you become part of the family and you then know that you've got people to turn to and yeah, yeah i think that's that's probably the most important thing for me about sport is it brings people together and you can come from all different backgrounds it, it really is irrelevant you get on the pitch and it's like yeah you're part of the family mm -hmm. that's that's it's great to hear like uh, we all see we all agree here that football is a great platform for these things to be taught and uh, there's a, a big discussion for a while now, let's say a decade, on this mental health and life skills. Like, should we teach these things deliberately, try to help the players deliberately, or should we just let the game do its its job? So I wanted to hear from Charlie, like, on your experiences playing futsal. Uh, from the lessons you, you may have learned, were they mostly happening automatically, organically, or was that actually the coach who was pushing an idea or a concept uh, for you guys deliberately? So I think there's a mix probably. So there's <clears throat> three parts to it. I think the first part is the benefits that you get just from taking part, which the coach isn't aware of or isn't trying to intentionally transfer. So going along to a session gets you out of the house, gets you meeting up with other people, gets you exercising entry level. It's already you know going to make a massive difference, benefit your, your body and your mind. Um, then if you have a really good coach, they will intentionally design the session so that it accelerates the benefits that sport provides. Uh, that could be getting players together to do a team talk. That could be asking questions that promote you to, to think differently about the way in which you go about training or, or outside of training. Um, and luckily enough, we have a coach who is um, good enough and experienced enough to do that. And then the third piece, which we're also very fortunate to have is sessions before after online and around the physical training itself where we specifically look at the sports psychology performance side of the game um, and again it's ideally for us to get better as futsal players to improve performance but everything is transferable um, something we've been working on a lot at the moment has been like controlling what's controllable for you mm -hmm. so when you have a feedback session with your coach uh, it's not about, oh, he didn't pass, she didn't play that ball to me to the back post. It's actually, what could I have done better? They played me the worst pass ever. Could I have sorted out my first touch? There's no point complaining about stuff you can't control. Um, and so, yeah, that's been really, really helpful. And I mean, playing sport for me is probably the main way that, yeah, I keep, keep myself fit and healthy um, and g gives me that real true belief that like sport can be that driver for improving and maintaining mental physical well-being because I, I live it myself. Mm -hmm. If you would name the number one lesson that you've learned from from football that still impacts you today on your day-to-day -day basis around mental health, what would that be? And do you remember when exactly you learned it? Very good question. The thing that springs to mind first is the social element of just bringing completely different people together through this you know, common medium, which is futsal or football or sport as a whole. Um, I think s most people grow up in an area, they go to school, they see the same people at school, they have their family. This is that opportunity to broaden and to meet people from completely different backgrounds 
And the common thing that brings them together is they're good at football or they just want to play football together. Um, and I think that for so many reasons is incredibly beneficial. Um, so for me, that's been been massive. And then probably just the physical well-being. I'm a massive believer that if you are healthy, fit, if you exercise, if you eat well, then that does translate to being mentally healthy and fit. Um, having something to look forward to, a commitment to turn up to at a particular time every week, games to look forward to, competition. Um, yeah, just just having that present in your life is is massively important, I think. That's definitely. Uh, one of the things that I, I find that is a misconception about football, it's called a beautiful game, but there are many ugly things uh, on it as well. My experience with football was... Um, Positive and negative, but I do I I can say that the negatives were the ones that took most of my attention and they still scar me today. And maybe the reason why I'm a coach is because I want to do it differently. And one of the things around the social side, uh, I, I struggle with a lot of bullying because um, I wasn't the best one in the team. And I've always been like a more quiet kid and all the kids would just like pick on me all the time, especially in, in the last club I played. So a lot of times we believe that just because the beautiful game is called beautiful, we are only going to learn positive things. So I wanted to also like try to discuss a few things that may have may happen in, in the football environment at the grassroots, at the academy level or at the professional level, or even like just playing with your friends that might also mark and impact people negatively. So maybe Max, looking back at your experience or maybe up to now, was there anything that uh, you saw happening maybe to you to someone else or like these negative lessons that you took away and then you're now trying to do differently i think so yeah i think i can relate uh to the point you made definitely not being the best footballer in the world and coming in being at school that had a lot of competitive footballers um and i know it affected me <clears throat> mentally i had a lot of social anxiety especially in, sport, in secondary school which is hard to believe now um but i had a lot of social anxiety <clears throat> particularly at the beginning moving from a, a smaller local like village um, junior school going to a big secondary school where um, in the small village I, I was all right whereas going into the biggest school I was definitely at the bottom um, and sort of dealing with the just the realities that you're not going to be amazing at everything which I think is just something that you get as you mature and as you grow up as a young person um, but as we as I'm sure we all know it's very easy for younger people to be quite horrible in ways without them realizing not done in a way that they're trying to make you feel in a, a certain um level of sadness it's just the way they don't understand what they're saying and the implications that that can have um so i think one of the big lessons for me is that understanding language understanding how um every sort of action has a reaction kind of thing that's something i know i try to take into my uh, coaching i talk a lot about constructive and destructive behaviors it's a big one for me um, I've seen it on the sideline with various coaches and various players where they've said something, but the manner they've said it is destructive. It's not done in a way that the young person is going to react positively towards it. It's just done in a way that it's going to make it worse. Whether that's done on purpose or not, it's you know, we don't actually know. But I know that affected me a lot when I was younger. I won't go as far as say I was, I was a victim of it, but I definitely witnessed it a few times and definitely was a part of it. Sometimes, definitely, I'm no, I'm no saint. I, I look back at times when I acted that way and you know, go home after and reflect on that and think, oh, that was horrible. That was really sort of mean, but understanding that, you know, that's part of learning and part of life. Um, but it was, it's difficult and it, you can feel, though there's 22 people on the pitch, you can feel very alone on there. Mm -hmm. I, I have like, vivid memories of um, playing for the secondary school team for one of the first few times and just having an absolute stinker just like awful, awful game because I was just so nervous. I just couldn't focus. I was so nervous. And uh, to this day, I get a bit of banter about it. But I mean, I remember at the time going into school the next day, I was terrified, petrified because I know I'm going to walk in the classroom and we're going to talk about the game and they're going to go, oh my God, Max, is absolutely horrendous, which I was. Um, I was absolutely awful. But I remember how much of a resounding effect that had on me and how them, you know, destructive behaviours affected my confidence playing football, which then led to, I remember I had a year out in like year nine, I just stopped playing um, uh, because I just didn't feel comfortable uh, on that. So that's something I try to take in my, my coaching as well. And sort of, I think we facilitate very well as an organisation when a player hasn't had the best time, everything's a learning opportunity. If it's looked in a constructive manner, 
uh, it can change things massively. Um, so yeah. Do you think the coach was aware or the teacher was aware of what was going on? Not with you, but with other kids as well. I think, I don't, I don't think so. But I also think the, if I look back at the coach and teacher at the time came from a, a previous generation of like coaching philosophies, I would say, where everything is, is drill, not practice. If that makes sense. Like, um, I'm not a huge fan of the word drill in, in, in coaching. Cause that for me, that insinuates, um, repeating the same thing over and over again, same decision every time. You can go into that in a coaching perspective. But I think he was very regimented, very autocratic, didn't consider people were at different levels and thought differently and had different emotional capabilities. Um, so I don't think it was his fault that he didn't recognise it. I just think it, he wasn't brought up in the way he coaches and teaches to recognise them things, which is what I, th- I believe we do definitely do now. Um for example, the CBDs we have, I know we talk a lot about how every kid is different and every staff member is different as well. We talk about managing staff and <clears throat> people have different ideas and different um, emotions uh, as you grow up, it's better. So I wouldn't say it was his fault, but he definitely didn't recognise it and no one else did. And that's why there's, there's no one, it's no one, I don't look at anyone and go, that's their fault because none of us realised. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact I was probably part of that as well where someone's had a rotten game and I've gone, well, that was a stinker, wasn't it? I probably was as well. Um, but I, as just growing up and maturing and studying the game and studying different learners and, and behaviours, um, I think like constructive and destructive behaviours were absolutely massive for me. And that made me look back and go, oh, actually, this was a point in time where, where this did happen. And now when I play football, though I'm still not the greatest, <laughs> I have much more sort of free will and just willing to enjoy it because I acknowledge the fact that I'm not renowned. I just want to have a good time. I think that's like a... Bloomsbury thing as well isn't it of like <clears throat> our philosophy is definitely to look after the individual and adapt to the individual and I guess long term is something that we want to look into of like can we try and change the coaching picture in general in grassroots football and not just the aim isn't just for Bloomsbury to be brilliant it's to improve the level of grassroots coaching and for people to understand that yeah like we all come from different generations and I'm sure the next generation of coaches will be different to what we are and there'll be things that they look back on on us and think, oh, they could have done that a lot better. But now it's a case of like when we're seeing a whole team getting shouted at for losing a game, it's like, well, there's lots of different characters within that team and how is it going to affect all of them emotionally? It might motivate one player to be told off after a game because they're going to want to do better, but there might be three kids in there that are struggling with things away from the pitch that actually football's meant to be their safe space and now it's not, so... Interesting that you you both like mentioned that the word generation and one of the things that I came into this talk like thinking about reflecting on well, possibly the, the points that we can discuss here is, was about that generation that and that lesson that the older generation has passed us on the sense of being a male shouldn't express your emotions you should just shake it off just and, and just keep going which is basically like what I call it like it's the autocratic was it the army style of doing things. So, for example, my dad was uh, raised by uh, uh, a man who went to war. Probably, like, you guys are connected to that. And then he evolved a little bit in terms of I just letting it lose a little more. But I still, I can still feel, like, that there's a little bit of consequence from the way he would, like, treat us or the way he would direct uh, the attention to us. So, I just wanted to hear from you guys, uh, first from, from Kemp, in the sense of how can we find a good balance of that autocratic, democratic, uh, where... We can actually build kids who can express themselves, who can talk about their feelings, but at the same time, they're strong enough and resilient enough. So there's just one thing that's just going to go and, and completely destroy them. So how can we find that that balance and just not completely ditch one side and then stick the other approach? It's a tough one. I think very much kind of my generation that I'm in, I've had this conversation with a couple of people. I feel like I'm on that kind of transitional period between kind of how football was and kind of coaching styles being from like, as you say, that like autocratic, like shouting, like, you know, coming to a team talk at the end, it's all bam, 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 this and that, you're not doing this right, things like that. I've been kind of coached that way towards a more like, as you kind of see now, maybe arm around the shoulder and kind of creating that whole more like holistic kind of welcoming environment. Um, and maybe like if something goes wrong, it's like, okay, yes, that did go wrong, but how can you get better? Kind of asking questions and things. And yeah, we're shifting that way. You can see that in professional football as well. You probably see that's why Jose Mourinho isn't having as much success. He's still having some success, but not as much success as he is having as he as he was about 10, 15 years ago because that style of, kind of coaching, that style of man management worked at that period. Whereas now in this generation, it's more like your Klopp's, your Guardiola's arm around the shoulder. Um, 
kind of like it's all about all about the team like you can open up feel like you can say whatever really um i still think there's some place for the autocratic nature mm-hmm. as you kind of say um but it's kind of just making sure you find the right the right thing is getting to know your as you say max made raise a good point like every child is completely different so finding that one thing that okay if you were to give them a kick and kick up the bum let's say for want of a better word um because you feel like they're going to get a reaction off of that um <clears throat> then you need to find that thing but you know there's often cases where you can just go completely over the mark and destroy your kid's confidence and they may not want to play and i know speaking probably from experience i've had that at, at swindon when i was growing up in an academy like um kind of going up through that generation there was a time that you know, through coaches there, um, ex like uh, some ex teammates, um, probably even lay some of it on my, my dad as well, and his kind of uh, background of him growing up through semi professional football and things, and his era that he grew up in. There was a time that I wanted to get out of Swindon completely. Like, I, I'd been there from the age of eight um, all the way to sixteen. Did the whole um, the whole academy before the um, before the scholarships uh, under eighteen, and. I was always like in the middle of like top the end of the group. I'd played up here quite a few times, representing Swindon in the Milk Cup. And it kind of got to the point of like, okay, am I going to get a scholarship or not? I wanted to get out of there because like I got very, very cliquey. And some of the coaches were, especially one coach was just like completely hammering me for maybe not scoring that week. Or um, I know myself at that time going through puberty and things and shooting up into the height I am. Like, there was a, quite a few times like, Basically, my legs didn't work. <laughs> I remember like, a couple times in training, like, I just spazz them up and I'd like fall over before like, even kicking the ball and I'd get hammered for that. And that's, that wasn't my, anything to do with me. But um, then not knowing much about, there wasn't much talk about mental health and things, especially being a 15, you're completely naive to it. Um, but yeah, that had a bit of a negative effect on, on my experience and couldn't wait to, to get out of there. Like, luckily, I had a, a different route from... Um, from coming out of Swindon into a scholarship at a college that, you know, I, I thrived upon and I love that environment. But like, I needed that change of environment because that was negative for for my for my mental health. So, um, yeah, kind of like going back to back to the question, I think it's very much down to like the coach's awareness. I think I think there is a good place for that autocratic kind of nature, not full on autocratic. That sounds a bit too extreme, but um, I think you kind of want to be more on the the holistic side and making making sure that you know they are turning up to football enjoying themselves and things but I'm a big believer as well like I'm quite the main thing like you know we're in this game for winning as well and that, you know in a grassroots club like yes we want to build the build the children improve them mentally physically technically but in the end end goal is winning and that is quite autocratic in nature so how are we pushing that and how are we driving that it's just finding that kind of right balance I suppose there was a, a, a book I read a few years ago. It's a Swedish book. It's called In the Shadows of San Siro. So it's basically talking about uh, this kid who was next big thing in the Swedish football. He was signed by Inter Milan or, or Milan. I don't remember exactly. So he transferred to, uh, to Italy. And then during his period in the academy, he was just like struggling, but he couldn't express. He was afraid of saying what he was feeling. And then he had other passions beyond football, but everyone was just like, oh, football, football is your life. You're going to be the big, the next big thing. And then next thing he knows, he woke up in the hospital after trying to take his life life away. And uh, so I'll just open a question for whoever wants to jump in. It's just like in the mind of a 14, 15, 16-year-old boy specifically, what might be the things going through their heads? Are they aware of their feelings? And if they are, what would you guys advise coaches to actually like open spaces for them to express themselves and take a little bit of the weight off their shoulders? Kind of jumping up on like kind of what I saw, what I saw, what I kind of experienced at at Swindon at that kind of 14, 15, 16 year old age where everything is gearing up to you getting under 18s contract. And I think very much you're geared by outside influences by your mates at school because you're inevitably one of the best best players at the school. You're kind of a bit of pressure maybe from your parents not that that much pressure from a, from a dad but there's obviously that certain pressure you want to kind of you know impress your dad and things like that or um you know from your coaches your players like everything from that age 14 15 16 is geared up to i'm going to get a scholarship i'm going to make it when still the percentages are so low like you can make two or three will graduate from under 16 to the under 18s out of a squad of 15 
and then from that to make it actually pro one if that from the actual under 18 squad but something was all geared towards that and as I said kind of that got really cliquey in that group um, and yeah like I, as I said luckily I had a different direction a lot of the, my ex-teammates didn't like they kind of dropped it dropped all kind of education and now maybe me and one other is playing football still that I know of the rest aren't at all don't have anything to do with the game not entirely sure what they're doing job wise um, not entirely sure what education they, they got um, and this is one of the big things that I think football as a whole can do a lot better and one one thing I'd like if Bloomsbury can implement especially with the, with the college programme um, and opening yes those spaces to, to talk whether that's coaches but also just having a framework of um, what is next after football what is your exit strategy that's something I'm extremely passionate about I believe that clubs when once you know children reach a certain age 16 17 18 19 20 who yes are sold on the dream of being a professional footballer and like 99.8% of all children in, in academies or trying to make it footballers they don't make it as professional footballers and they've kind of almost made that like tremendous sacrifice of um, committing to be, becoming a professional footballer that they neglect, you know, the other things, your education, family, social life, and they a lot of them get into a hole. And, you know, unfortunately, we've seen in the last couple of years a couple of high-profile academy players taking their own life um, because they had nothing else. They, they were sold on this dream. They didn't make it. And then they felt there was no way out for them because they had nothing else. So I think... It's great to see Crystal Palace, I think, are the first club to to come out and commit to a, a three-year exit strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. And that's great. And that's something that I'd love to, you know, drive here at Bloomsbury once we, we kick off the, the college programme next year and, and making sure that, you know, we check in with our players throughout that whole period that they are in the academy system, the, the under-18s, under-23s, whatever that may be. And then beyond that, because I do think there's a duty of care. Like, mm-hmm. I was a swimming from the age of eight to 16. The amount of hours that I committed to them, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays, Sundays, throughout that eight, nine-year period, I wouldn't even know where to start how many hours that would be. And then for me to be dropped like that, and like, I mean, I had the other avenues, so I was actually quite happy with it. Um, but I didn't hear from them. I'm like, how I was doing one year, two years, three years later, would that be nice? Yes, absolutely, I think. Um, and hopefully football's kind of changing that way. Uh, but yeah, that's that's one thing that like is especially at that age because you're growing up, you're probably becoming more socially aware, you're becoming more um you know, and okay, your mind's probably working different ways. Um and there's more social pressures from a load of other things as you're going through puberty, you're going through different things. And um yeah, that that critical age I think needs a lot more support. And whether that is kind of sitting down and having team meetings like once every couple of months or something of just kind of like airing things out um having that one-on-one kind of support accessible um and then just having you know programs at clubs that give you the opportunity to keep tracks on them and making sure that you know they are going in the right direction because I, I do believe like yeah it's a duty of care for those for those clubs to return that kind of investment that you as a child has put into that club and they I feel like, yeah, they, they should have some sort of responsibility for um, yeah helping you take that next step. Really. Mm-hmm. For me, at that age, I think this is one of the benefits of me being slightly younger and taking the under-14s this year. I think what has been such a success on a social level um, is that I remember being there, especially, especially in this generation. So like being around Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, and having access to everything in the world you could possibly want. And, you know, and I'm having, I think, exposure to things perhaps previous generations didn't have and understand like, what's going on in the world and different things that are happening there. Um, for me, it's all about environment. And I think also one of the benefits of me since I'm younger is I'm still figuring out my processes of, of dealing with stuff and being, you know, dealing with my emotions and that kind of stuff, um, which is huge. But coming into an environment like Bloomsbury as a, as a young coach, um, it was a bit of a culture shock for me because I hadn't been ever been in this place where I had to drive to be better every day. Um, I'd come from a place where I was just happy, having a bit of fun, 
and that was it. But coming into football, if you're going to work in football, there's pressure. And there's a lot of it that comes with it from different stakeholders and obviously results to an, to an extent. Um, but being fostered within the environment um, that actually, you know, we have to understand you have to be here at some point, but you need to figure out, and there is no pressure on how long it takes you to figure out for yourself how you're going to deal with stuff and how you're going to display that. I think a benefit for myself was, okay, from a very um, women-heavy household where um, I was always felt comfortable to confide with them, which I think as a young boy, not many people have. I think back to my friends that come from a more masculine environment. They're a lot less, from my experience, a lot less comfortable opening up about their emotions and their feelings. Um, why that is, I'm not sure. I think it's just the pressures. Again, I think, especially in British culture as well, I think you alluded to slightly, is that classic stiff upper lip, you know, you're feeling a bit rubbish. Oh, well, just you know, get on with it, crack on, you'll feel better. But in the 14, I see a lot, many kids have moments that I saw myself in a lot where I, was like, I felt awful at that point. They needed a little bit of a, not necessarily arm around the shoulder, just to talk about how they can deal with that, deal with that anxiety and what's going on there. And for me, Again, taking the 14s and remembering what I was like at that age and the pressure they were under, you know, picking their GCSEs, just socially as well, you know, going home from school and, you know, the boys Snapchatting you about what happened in the day. And suddenly they have anxiety, you know, clicking the Snapchat. A lot of people won't be able to relate to, but I definitely can. So when they're talking to me about that, it got to a point where they could confide in me about that. And I can tell them about my experiences that she's you know, going to end up fine. I think that was huge for them. I think that's why they're socially now very very comfortable with every coach and what i take a huge amount of pride in um for the season that they're all happy more than anything you know they're all at different levels they all have different successes um but they're happy with how the season's gone um but it's very easy to fall into the trap of oh no they've misplaced the pass therefore i'm going to hammer them i think a lot of kids are victim of ego from the coach's side a lot of the time um this is what I found <clears throat> quite a lot in definitely in youth football. And I think Boonesbury, Boonesbury takes a lot of pride in being the opposite is, you know, you want to win, you want this to be better, that to be better. But understanding that one match is not your parameter for success it is the season, you know, and then the kid, that kid's parameter for success might not be getting 10 goals. It might be having the confidence to make a line breaking pass. And that is a lot better than your star player scoring three, for example. Um, Understanding that everyone has them different parameters, I think is huge because that prevents comparison. Because otherwise, you're having your players who may be slightly less developed, slightly less experienced. Look at the players at the top of the group who might 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 be on Nexus strategy, for example, who have just you know been coached since six years old, and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm rubbish. That's just not the case. They're just at a different stage, and they need to understand what their successes are and why they're different. Um, and I don't think that was made clear to young people, particularly, I mean, from my experience in school, I don't think that was made particularly clear. And a lot of people were on the wrong end of that and it affected them psychologically and mentally. I think about the point that Cam made about friends playing football. I come from a massive group of lads and I think I'm the only one that plays still. Um, and no one particularly played high level, but they stopped at 16. And I was like, ah, I'm not popular anymore. I think the only reason I started playing was because I had a brother-in-law in, in a men's team and I wanted to go with him. That's the only reason I kept playing. I look back at that and I think, why is that? Why is that? And you just think it makes it, it makes no sense, really, because you think, oh, football's the best game ever. They're still football fans. They go to football games, but they don't want to play. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very interesting to look back at the reasons why that, that could be. Yeah, so like, I'm such an advocate for, for anyone just to keep involved in football. Like, you know, you, you've been playing it. Everyone plays it at school. Like 95% of the children will play football at school and love it to some extent. And I'm a huge advocate of like, and I will tell the children that we coach um, or we you know provide provision for that hey, it's a lifelong sport like you can play you don't have to play everyone sees it as oh if I don't make it professional I'm not playing 11 aside like I haven't made it I, I don't want to play it um, there are levels for everyone you just go and have a kick around five aside with your mates every week like in a doesn't have to be in a competitive environment could just be a social kick around it. but you know that does so much for for you mentally um, because yeah you have that social cohesion going to meet meet your friends like even Right now, like I've I've been injured for the in and out of injuries for the last year or so, and particularly last three months or so, which I've like literally had all physical activity pretty much taken away from me. I haven't kicked a ball in three months, and there are days I can tell you over the last couple of months where like that negatively kind of affects me. Like I feel mentally quite not yet not great because 
I can't do what I love. Like that is my release. That is what I'll go to, go to a training session, see my mates, kick a ball around, you know, get myself in that environment. Um, and that kind of makes me feel so much better. So having that kind of like stripped away from you, it, you know, for me that like my mental makeup and things like that is what helps me a lot. Um, and yeah, it's been, there are some tough days over the last couple of months. Like, like, okay, like what do you do to kind of get yourself out of them? Where do you, what kind of things do you do? Who do you put yourself around with? So yeah, I always find it baffling why, like, yeah, a, a team of talented footballers that I was with at the age of 16 and two, if that, <laughs> continuing to play um, at some sort of level is, yeah, I'll always find like, what, yeah, why is that? And how do we keep young, young people involved in the game? Like lifelong, that's, one of my main aims in the foundation is, okay, how can we find pathways for these children who aren't going to be playing competitively um, post-16, post-18? How do we just keep keep that love for the game and keep them involved? Right. Cam, just on uh, oh, what you said about like being an injury, injured right now and then like having ups and downs like uh, around this time, like how do you find the right people to talk about this and to share the things that you're going through if there's anyone that you, you do that with it's a good one like I probably don't like I'm quite a, have been a closed book or I'm a bit of a closed book and I'll kind of like keep a lot of things to myself and that is something I'm working on and trying to you know open up a little bit more and um, try and confide in, in people and that'll probably be you know probably mainly my parents um, particularly my dad because you know he, he's come from a football background that's probably who I feel comfortable with like you know, some people aren't friends, yeah, maybe one or two, one two, one or two of my better friends, but I probably don't share it as much as I should. And like probably implore people and like not just on the injury side, there could be a, a load of other things um, that, you know, are, are obviously affecting you and you just wouldn't know. So I think it's implore, like find that those right people it doesn't have to be loads of people. We don't have to shout it from the rooftops. And yeah. that's not what we're trying to say or achieve here. Like, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this mentally, like, hear me out, hear me this and that, like go and find one or two people that you, you kind of fully trust um, and just, yeah, like open up. Like that's something I'm trying to get better at. Um, but as you say, I think from our kind of like generation where it's all like a lot of that like, kind of, as, as we go back to the, the stigma, like men just being like, oh, just take it, take it on the chin, be this kind of, this tough like exterior um, and like, oh yeah, everything's rosy kind of from the outside when, you know, sometimes it's not. And yeah, I've probably fell victim to that with like not not opening up a little bit more. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do completely implore that, I think. Because um, I've seen, yeah, on, on the sides, like, what, you know, the negative aspects of that. Like, sadly, one of my ex teammates took his own life because of, you know, things going on in his background. When, you know, from the outside, he was. Mm -hmm like the best bloke going like the nicest lad everyone had time for him he had time for everyone else um you know had a good job had played at a very high level and then all of a sudden something as final as that can happen you just have absolutely no idea why and none of his best mates really knew why as well he might have had inklings yeah. but yeah it's just finding like who is who do you trust the most to to really confide that information in and not saying mine was like, as, as far as that there are times i'm down a little bit and things and you know, it's just finding the right people. And I think getting better at it as well is, is kind of, especially my generation, I feel like there's conversations I have with my mates and that stuff now, like even just socially, like we come to the pub for, for one or two or where those conversations wouldn't have been had and it would be more like frowned upon for bringing that up. It's now good to see that changing. Um, so yeah, like it's, for me, I think, yeah, for me it's going back there. It's like just finding the one or two people that I trust to, confide that bit of information yeah okay that bit of information might be best because my dad because he can relate yeah another bit of information of like why i'm feeling down i might go to my i'll go to my mum or i'll go to my best mate because they can re probably relate to it a little bit more or give me more sound advice yeah just kind of just getting better is it is uncomfortable like for yeah. me it is uncomfortable still to talk about like what i'm feeling what my, my mental kind of situation is like but i suppose uncomfortable is good sometimes like uh when the problem is in our head, mm. it looks so big. Mm. But once we kind of verbalize it, put it out to someone, you don't even have to hear anything from mm. anybody else. You're just like, okay, it's not as bad as, yeah. I, as I thought. Agreed. For me, the key one is just finding what works for you. Mm. So like, for example, and this is nothing to do with the fact that I'm a man, I don't particularly like showing emotion. 
but mm. I, I don't like crying. Like that's not that's not like a masculine thing. I just don't enjoy crying. I think I've cried like three times over the past six years, and all three of them were funerals. For example, I'm not a big fan of crying, um, but I also know that I'm very comfortable telling people anything. I don't. I'm a completely open book, mm-hmm. and I know it doesn't matter who it is. I can just turn around and go, "Yeah, do you know what? I've been a little bit down today." Like the big one that I, I'll never forget was the second lockdown in November. Because the original lockdown, I'd gone home, so I was with my parents, my sister, it was fine. But I was in a flat by myself at university for November, and I was I was a mess. I had no routine. I was going to bed at like 5 a.m., waking up at like 5 p.m. Just felt really down, lost all my routine. Um, and then first session back, Lewis was there. And, um, and it was the first time I'd really seen someone properly, like outside the work environment where I could just go, Mate, I'm not in, not good right now. That was it. And then after that, went to the pub after the session, just spoke, didn't didn't break down in tears or say that what was wrong. It was just literally a conversation where, yeah, I've lost my routine. I don't feel good. And then straight after that, I felt better. But understand that everyone has different processes. Yeah. You know, like grieving's a big one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Huge one, how you grieve. Like when I'm when I grieve, I find it better to be alone. I prefer to be alone. So just go into my own space where it's just me, um, maybe have a little cry, try and get wrap my head around it and understand why this happened. And then from then on, look at it positively and I can move yeah. forward positively. Because there's no, there's no right or wrong way. There is, you, don't, you don't have to find your person per se. If your person might just be you in the mirror. It could just be a book that you write your emotions yeah. down. It could be absolutely anything. And understanding that... Where does song draw... Yeah, something. Well, like, it could, it. any any process that yeah. like, works for you. Music's a great one as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I love I love all all music, but the music I listen to represents my mood. So, for example, in the summer on the way to camp, it's gonna be take that. Feeling good. <laughs> I'm feeling good. The sun's shining. <laughs> Bang on and take that. Maybe I'm feeling a, li- a little bit down, a little bit emotional. So I'm gonna like, I'm gonna go for a run. Well, not anymore, but I used to go for a run. Cool. I'm gonna put on some you know EDM, drum and bass, house, and just really like you know. Find what works for you, and understand that there is no straight line of of emotion. Yeah. You know, there is there is no straight line, and the sooner you understand that, um, you can figure out what works for you. Because there's no problem being a closed book. You know, there's no problem feeling uncomfortable sharing what, your emotions. What do you mean by it works for you? How can someone judge that this is working? I think it's not necessarily you feel sort of back to normal per se. Mm. I'm putting that in quotation marks because there, you know, what is normal? But you'll know your base mental state where you are happy. You will know when you are happy. That doesn't mean you're going to have the conversation you're going to be happy in. That's not how it works. But for example, when I speak to someone, I just want to, I mainly want to just throw something out there and just listen to them. I want to be, I, I, I like to feel reassured. It's a big one for me. I like reassurance. Mm-hmm. So like, I know I can say this issue I'm having, I acknowledge potentially a wrong that I've done or something like that. But Speaking to the person, I can think to myself, like, well, that's not that bad. You know, I can mm-hmm. I can improve from this point, and then I can go home and go, actually, you know, this is all right. I, I know that I know exactly the feeling that I get once I've spoke to someone and I've gone home and I have this feeling in my like chest where I'm like, ah, we're good, we're good again. You know, like university, for example, is a big one as well. You get loads of pressures with university and secondary school and all that kind of stuff, where you're really nervous on what result you're going to get and what grade you're going to get. But for me. Since the first year, like now coming second and third year, I don't get nervous looking at results because it's either going to be good or it's going to be not what I wanted. If it's good, great. If it's not what I wanted, then I find the next step to make it better. It, it feels like um, most of these things happen because of the unknown. Mm. Like you don't know what's going to happen. And then once it happens, you're like, oh, okay, it's not as bad. And the next time it happens, like you kind of can expect exactly, what, yeah, what, you, what, what can come out of it. So I feel a lot of times we do struggle with things that are new to us mm-hmm. maybe someone else experienced someone else uh had a like a, a goal at, at it so i think that's one of the reasons why we need to share mm-hmm. because if i'm going through something whatever with my family and then i might talk to one of you you guys and just like oh no like it's fine it's a normal thing mm-hmm. uh this is how you're supposed to feel this is a normal thing so i think like once we normalize it if we don't see that big dragon that big monster in front of you and it becomes more 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 bearable i would say I think we're living in quite an exciting time now where that mindset has changed though, where, you know, we're sat in a room and there's five men in here and 
like everyone's opening up and we're happy to talk about these things and that probably wouldn't have been the case as Cam referred to a few years ago so I think like it's also the same with the young people that we support we need to make sure that we're having these conversations with them and showing them that it's okay to to talk and this this is totally normal I think like the way that we're accepting like people from all different backgrounds and I guess it relates to Bloomsbury but just in general like in the world at the moment is like you know LGBTQ plus like it's open it's it's talked about younger people are being able to come out and say like yeah okay I'm non-binary or yep I'm gay and nobody's judging that that's fine like congrats like you've already found out you know where you want to be and what you want to be and everyone's going to support that I think that's that's really important and like yeah from my side I feel I've always been lucky like I haven't had mental health struggles but like over the last few months like, I've looked into like therapy and that's not because I'm struggling but because I just feel it'd be beneficial to like have somebody to speak to because it's like yeah like life is tough isn't it it's life tough for everyone you go through a lot of different things and whether that be like you you work a lot and you spend a lot of time away from home or like relationships you it's important that you like stay on top of these things and it doesn't necessarily always have to be a reaction it's like can you take action maybe before you start seeing these things happen so i think yeah just just open conversations and like i guess for the people listening to this it's like people are here for you like people can support and like we want to be able to support like as individuals but just as a community as well yeah as, as a coach again you have many parameters for success but i know the parameters of success that really stick out for me this season are not the results not the good performances it's the times when one of the and they are young men 13 14 have confided in me over something they're not comfortable about or perhaps they disagree about whether that be about football it could just be something that's happened at home it's, I think it's really important and i know we encourage our coaches to say you know First, thing, first question shouldn't be all about the result of the weekend. First question should be, how was your day? Mm. You know, how'd you get on? Okay, cool. There's a child who, I mean, there was a really big lesson for me, not this season gone, season four, but I was being observed. I think it was by Nick um, at the time. And I really lashed out on one of the kids. And I was really impatient with him. And because um, he just wasn't doing what I was asking, he was everywhere, he was distracted. And I was, my instant reaction at that time was to get angry and go like, this is just a joke. This is non-negotiable, blah, 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 blah. And then actually, upon reflection, um, when speaking to Nick, it's actually, did you ask him if he was okay? And it was like, no, I didn't ask if he was okay. And then the next session, which thankfully was the next day, I just asked him, are you all right? Like, you know, how's your week? And it turns out that they'd had an awful week and they'd had a family member pass and they didn't know how to deal with it. And so I'm saying that, okay, cool, that behavior's normal then. They don't feel, they don't, they don't understand and they're trying to come to terms with what's happened and they haven't figured out their way of doing it. Therefore, they've had a session where they haven't been as focused as normal. And that had, that's not because they don't want to, it's because mentally they're struggling. And it's like, cool, that's where our, that should be our job to go in and go, actually, let's see, let's look at the process of you being this behavior as opposed to looking at the product where, okay, he's messing around, therefore he must be told off. Mm-hmm. Look at the process of, Okay, he's fourteen. He's normally much, you know, much better behaved. He's struggling, but I'm going to look at the process. Okay, cool. He's had a bad week. Therefore, he was behaved. Okay, so let's figure out a way we can balance it in between, which I don't think many of us have in this room at school in football, where you had an awful week, we didn't think go well, we didn't have that person to, to confide in. I see it definitely improving, like from a playing playing experience and still playing non-league level, like. You know, that's probably, you look at non-league and go, like, that's the probably, like, men kind of mm. playing football, head it, kick it, like, yeah. you know, huge centre. Classic and British culture. Yeah, exactly. And, like, yeah, it's definitely changing in that, in that environment. I think, you know, being in a changing room with a load of lads of kind of similar age, maybe a little bit older, some younger as well, it's definitely becoming a little bit more normalised. Just kind of like, okay, yeah, how, like, how are you? How, how's your day been, like? Before a game, like in a change room, yeah, it might not be more about okay, what what's going on in the game? Like, are we in bad form? Are you in individual bad form or something like that? We need is how are you doing? Like, is everything okay? Um, like mentally, physically, what whatsoever, just kind of in your life, like, um, yeah, seeing that more and more in the in the change rooms, which is good. Um, and like, yeah, it's still for some people, it's still uncomfortable, but like, yeah, that's it's good to see kind of that progress and long may that kind of continue and kind of break down those 
those stigmas, especially within, yeah, as you probably look at non-league football being a little bit more brutish, let's say, um, because of you know people's backgrounds and, and working for for a living um, on the side of that, or you know, it's yeah, it's a, it's a good thing to be seen. Having these conversations is part of being a coach, like part of being a teammate, part of being a human. It's like we should be having these conversations to understand and support other people. I think that's like the underlying message is it doesn't matter who you are, what your relationship to the person is, whether they're young or old, like we should support each other. And there shouldn't be that stigma where, oh, you're male, so like you should be stronger than this person or you shouldn't talk about it because that's not what you should do. That's not part of your character. It's like, we're all human. Like, we should just have these conversations. I understand that life has moments mm. where you're not going to feel good and that doesn't mean you should live with anxiety. That means you should live freely and anticipate that. There'll be times when you're going to feel upset, but let's enjoy the times when we're not upset. And I think as a coach, again, round off that perspective as well, there's going to be moments where players don't have a good time and it's going to either stay with, stay with them positively or constructively or stay with them destructively. Mm. And I remember I, one sticks out in my brain this season. It's the first game of the season, not a good performance, only like 11 players. It didn't go well. And uh, I had a really emotional young man, really emotional. But I knew he was emotional about the result, not about everyone else, but he was lashing out a little bit. And he wanted to come off, but he only wanted to come off because we were losing. And I kept him on. And I really emotional, really emotional. Um, and he came off, spoke to him, again, put a positive twist on it, that you push for adversity, you push through, no matter the result, we push, you push, you push. And it's since then been one of the most reliant, not only performance, but one of those most mentally strong young men I've ever met. And I look back at that moment as a huge turning point for him where actually, okay, I realise now there's going to be adversity. If I push through it, it's all going to be okay and it'll work out. So. It can be so powerful as well, um, like going back to... You know, seeing it in the change room in, in my environment, like one of my good mates last season, um closer, yeah, same team as me, Tom, that he unfortunately two of his like really good friends in about a space or period of two weeks, um, took their own life because of mental health problems and issues. Um and obviously it's a very tough time time for Tom. And before one of the games we were playing Jersey Bulls who had for lost maybe one or two games that season and were looking for promotion. Um and he one of the most powerful things I've ever kind of been involved in and, and heard. Uh, he had like the guts and the, and the power like to open up completely his emotions because you could see he was visibly, visibly down for the last two weeks and like making sure that he was all right as a person. Like, that was a big job for like not just myself but the rest of the teammates. And he got up and like, had something written out and, and spoke for about five minutes about you know like talking more and kind of like the same conversation we're having now. Um, but like, obviously visibly emotional while saying it as well and like, just gripped the whole change room. Um, and yeah, for me, it was one of the most powerful things I've heard. And I'm, I'm just, to this day, I'm sure that had the impact on our performance because we went there out there and absolutely blitzed them. Um, we won three, one, I think they scored right at the end, Like we hammered them and this is one of the best teams in the league. Like, we're a decent side as well, but I'm pretty sure that kind of, that thing had the, the moment, the momentum behind like what our performance was on the day. Yeah. 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 And that uh, it was, yeah, still like kind of just reminiscing on it now. It was one of the most powerful things I've. I've been in or heard. Um, so, you know, for him, for Tom, I'm sure it was very liberating um, to get that off his chest. And uh, it was great that he could feel comfortable in our change room to get up five minutes. And that was basically the team talk. Like, I don't think the coaches said anything before the game. That was basically the team talk, him opening up about like, how his feelings were, kind of his experiences, uh, how, you know, to kind of battle that and kind of deal with that and come out the other, the other side. It was yeah, incredibly kind of almost like a hair-raising type of type moment, incredibly powerful. Testament to you and the team as well. Yeah. The fact that they're, he was open to have that mm. conversation, that says a lot. Yeah, that's what I was saying, like, you know, there, there is improvement and, and you're seeing that within, within change rooms. Like, yeah, our change room might be a little bit different. Our kind of demographics in our change room is is very, I'd say almost unique in the kind of non-league landscape. Um, but I think you can definitely see that improving across the board. Well, gentlemen, I'd like to thank you guys for for what you share in these stories, your comments and your ideas. It, it, it is tough. I feel like we're transitioning from a generation that was all army based and everything should be serious, no emotions, to a generation that is more open and free to to be who they want to be and to share what they want to share. And then hopefully we're going in the right direction. Uh, I believe that 
us as, as a football club, we have great people, men and women uh, on board as coaches, as parents that are being part of that change. So we want to make sure that it's not only a Bloomsbury football thing, but it's a football, it's a sport thing. So hopefully the sector can change and improve so more kids can have a better time uh, around football, around sports. So in the future, if they do not play it any longer, they can look back and see and smile about the opportunities and the lessons they've learned. So this was the stories from the sideline from Bloomsbury Football. Thanks for listening to us and I will see you guys next time. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. <laughs> One person to listen to this. <laughs>